biggest games. The biggest events. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was going to in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Hi, this is Jacob Wolf, and welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Uh, it's a special edition of the podcast. This is not a Wednesday. Um, however, I'm joined this weekend, or this week rather, uh, by Ryan Morrison, uh, the player attorney. Ryan, how are you? Doing well. Thank you for having me. And also by uh, Ovi, formerly of Riot and now of Catalyst Sports. Uh, Ovi, how are you? Top of the afternoon and to you, Jacob. And also Rob Moore, uh, the owner of Phoenix One, who also has an incredibly uh, long background in the entertainment industry. Uh, Rob, how are you? I'm good. Happy to be on. Wonderful. Um, so I guess my first question for all of you guys, and this can be a debate among all of you. Um, is this a good move for Riot to franchise? Starting out with the easy question, I see. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get the harder <laughs> ones at a later date. So, and and to kind of catch some people right, up to speed. Well, I'll, but, but like, yeah. I've, I've noticed I didn't really catch anyone up to speed. Uh, assuming they've read a lot of the articles around it. But essentially, uh, on Thursday, Riot Games announced that they would be doing as we all basically knew they were going to, uh, instilling some kind of franchise slash long term partnership model uh, around including teams in their league for a significant amount of time um, for the foreseeable future, akin to the likes of the NBA and the NFL, the MLS, etc. Um, and yeah, this is kind of, this is the beginning of that. They've made their announcements. They've opened applications for people looking to invest. Uh, and as we will talk about later, um, they have set a price point to a $10 million buy-in. So back to the original question, is this a good move? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's something that was going to happen. It was an inevitable. Relegation is really fun as a fan. It's fun to watch and root for your team to not disappear into the ether. But as an investor and as someone who might, for example, in traditional sports, I'm a Jets fan, and they never win. They're in last place every single year. And if I had to watch them in the minor league, I wouldn't be their fan anymore. So it's bad for the orgs, it's bad for the teams, it's bad for the players on those teams, and it's bad for me as a fan in the long run. Uh, it, it, the the main reason it was done, though, seemingly, is because investors wanted to come in and spend their money confidently. They don't want to throw down millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands or even $20 if that team might not be there next year. So it, it's something that was bound to happen. Yeah, this is Rob. I think, you know, looking at it as an investor and owner, that when you're going to make decisions about your organization and your roster and your level of investment, knowing that there was this risk that your, your life may only have three months left definitely impacted decisions that you had to make and the way you were able to approach things. Now, with the ability to have a long-term perspective for those organizations that end up in the league, I think it will be much better for the long-term health of the league and um, for players in general, you know, not riot, obviously announced the, um, that they're also going to be developing the Academy. So therefore there is a formalized way now to develop talent. And I think with teams ability to be investing in the future, that it'll be much easier to be carrying younger players to develop so that you continue to have, um, 
a thriving sport long-term. And I think that's what this does. It changes the mindset from being, how do we all succeed for the next three months to how do we all succeed for the next three years, which I think should bring much bigger success and popularity for the sport. And this is Obi. I, I mean, I'd agree with Ryan and Robert. I definitely hear like the fan sentiment there, there, and there's been quite a lot of discussion, right, about the idea that you know esports doesn't necessarily need to follow traditional sports in lockstep, and you know you don't want to have you know Cleveland Brown desk organizations who just sort of wither for decades and uh, you know just sort of bring down the entertainment product for fans. But I mean, I think from a business perspective, it makes perfect sense. And also, you know, honestly, long term, in most pretty developed esports leagues, if it's not the publisher that does this, it seems like ultimately either teams or tournament organizers tend to want to do this anyways. If you look at, you know, CSGO and some of these other leagues, Wisa and Pia coming about, I think if Riot didn't franchise, there's a decent chance either teams or third-party organizers, maybe not in this ecosystem since Riot, Riot runs it themselves, but I think it's almost an inevitability with someone trying this if it's not the publisher. So, yeah, I think it's the right move. I agree with you guys. Um, I think that uh, the way it's it's handled, I'm a lot more optimistic about this than say something the Overwatch League. Um, but and I, I think the approach of of some revenue sharing and, and outlining that to the public is actually a very good move. Um, and not just for my sake as a reporter, but generally just being transparent. Um, this is actually one of the more times I've seen Riot be a little bit more open. Uh, they've done a lot of interviews with a lot of media outlets today. Um, and generally, I think this is one of the times I've seen them publicly be very open about something they're doing. And that's that's actually a good thing. Um, I'm pretty optimistic that that uh, will continue when it comes to some of these things, especially because um, it's a sensitive topic. And, and this is something I want to talk about. Um, there is no guarantee uh, that a single owner will be able to come back into this league and stay in this league. Uh, there is a buy-in. You do have to go through an application review. And frankly, I, I think that's a good thing, but um, I also I also think that there's going to be a lot of pushback if any of these teams do not make it back into the league, especially some of the older ones that do not have as much money. Um, so I, you know, I think it's good that they're being transparent and i hope that they maintain that transparency to when we reach november and they announce their partners i mean transparency is easy to do and and not to take a shot at riot i don't mean it that way but the transparency here was easy because they did so much today that wasn't franchising that they could just throw everything out there and say you know figure it out you're all overwhelmed now uh it's it, it was an oversharing of news with, I think, out without any actual uh, plans of implementation or things other than the franchising. So there was there was just a lot today that I don't love. <laughs> Speaking with someone some experience with some experience on the other side of the fence, I mean, I think you know as far as the intimate details, I think more of those will be forthcoming closer to the day. Right, none of this is happening prior to what is it September when they'll ultimately reveal who made it in, and then you know the. The revenue share and a lot of this other stuff won't click in until 2018, and we're only in June. So I think they're – I mean the probable thinking was like, look, explain what we're doing, uh, have the opportunity to you know, set the – get the first word in on what's going on, not have you know, sort of the narrative hijacked by leaks and whatnot, and then fill in the blanks later. So I would be surprised if the goal was to try and overwhelm people. Uh, but yeah, I mean I could definitely see why it could seem like that given how much information it was. But just having been on the other side, I can tell you that's usually not the case. It was just probably a case of 
wanting to get this information out there and have Riot be able to sort of have its own voice heard rather than defined by other people. Yeah, the scary part yeah, there is I the, think, the uh, Players Association where that was just kind of thrown in with all this. That's that's the I yeah, think that's, that's definitely the franchise. That's we definitely get, a different topic. That, yeah, 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 yeah. I had that on the topic list. That is definitely something I want to discuss because I found it very interesting how they approach that as well. And that's also like next month, so it's that is not something in the yeah. future. And it got thrown in this announcement like it's nothing when I think it's the most game changing things that esports has ever seen. So let's tackle a few more topics before we get to the player association. It's definitely on the list of things to discuss. Fine, we'll um, call that a teaser. Yeah, we yeah we will <laughs> we will hold that because I that's one of the reasons I kind of wanted you on this call, Ryan, is the fact that you have a very good perspective uh, about that, and clearly like it's been discussed in other esports. So yeah, let's let's hold that. And so my my next question for you guys is, uh, do you think this is the right time to do this, um, given the esports space and the history of League of Legends as competitive esport? Well, I think the key in terms of timing that's certainly one of the parts that drove this is the media rights and the sponsorships and how, as these leagues mature, how is this managed between the teams and the leagues? And so at some point to maximize the value of all these rights, there had to be better coordination and integration. And so that's definitely part of what this all accomplishes is to make sure that Everybody is working together for the same goals versus everybody, again, is working to make sure that they're getting enough money from sponsorships to pay their payroll the next week. And so, again, I think this really helps in terms of driving overall value, which will be best for everyone in the process. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, like – oh, sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say it just felt like – you know, over the last year or two that there's just been such growth and such maturity in the esports world that evolving from what had been, like I said, a very scrappy, you know, last for another month, make payroll for another month to a longer term, long value creating opportunity, I think is the key. And the one thing I just wanted to address relative to the fan concerns is the other thing that didn't get a lot of play but was very specific, which no other professional sport has, is there still is a, we'll call it a Cleveland Brown rule for the lack of a better term, that if you come in the bottom two for a consistent period of time, you do get relegated. You don't even have the ability to win a playoff game and not be relegated. So... They do have a safety net for fans that says, hey, we are expecting every team to compete. And if certain teams don't compete consistently, then they won't be in the league long term. So there is a safety net to ensure competition. And I think that's what a lot of people – I think that's what a lot of people were concerned about uh, when discussing franchising openly before this uh, was the fact that, like, people would just coast. Like, they would coast without trying. So – yep. And plus now they get to be the franchise league instead of Blizzard. That's a whole other topic. That's <laughs> well, I, so it is something I want to address. Ryan, you are doing my job in the sense that you are just moving me on to topics that I wanted to talk about. Um, Sorry. So this is this is like a – you know, it's two questions but one topic. Um, Actually, is, Jacob, before you, before you finish, could I answer that last question though? Sure. You said yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, is this – as far as timing is concerned, I mean, so I think it's actually been pretty well known, right? Like, Riot's been pretty transparent that the idea of franchising a league is definitely not an original one. Uh, it's older than esports in a lot of ways. I think the ownership groups that you see right now, I mean, no, uh, 
we're a long ways from the days of like Velocity and Marn, right? We have uh, or even Winterfox, you know, if you want to think more recently. But yeah, sure. So yeah, I mean, I think I think the caliber of team owners who are already in the league, and I think even the folks, some of the folks. I mean, there's a very very interesting list of professional sports teams, family offices, billionaires, media moguls, etc., that are actively looking to you know apply to get an LCS spot or you know get into the league or partner with an existing team if that's the way to do it. But yeah, I mean, I think the this is not possible in 2015. I don't think it's so much the idea. I think the idea of franchising and everything that Riot explained today, none of this is something that I think couldn't have been dreamed up in 2015, but the caliber of ownership and sponsorship is just didn't exist two or three years ago. So I think that's really the big difference. Yeah, I think I think that is like a and it's something I did want to talk about at some point, but it is something that is uh there is not a single owner in this league or an ownership group in this league currently uh that I think would have absolutely no chance of getting in. Uh the some of them do have histories that aren't, you know, fantastic, but that is There's some that shouldn't be allowed in. Haha. <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's a different story, I but can. there are But no, I, 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 that's exactly right. The 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 just coming from the player side where we saw the abuse all the time, the real or at least most of the real uh criminal element of owner is gone. Uh at least in the LCS or or anywhere near the LCS. No one's perfect, of course, but the the teams that have come in, like Phoenix One, have been so much better to work with than the ones that were there years ago. It's been a very nice shift. So, so absolutely agree that this today versus this in 2015 are two different worlds. Agreed. So, my next question for you guys uh, is: Ten million dollars too much? Do you think? I don't have it. Uh, I'll say that it's interesting. You know. It- it's interesting because this question maybe a year ago would have had a different answer, I think. But I think in light of what Overwatch League is rumored to be asking, um, <laughs> it's it's natural to compare the two. And honestly, I think it's it's probably good for both leagues. I'm going to be very interested as more details about Overwatch League come out. Like, for example, I think it, it sounds like they're gunning for geolocation a little faster than Riot is. And so it'll be really natural to compare the two leagues. And so in some areas where, you know, a league that is – you know, number one esports uh, or the largest e- esports ecosystem, most watched ecosystem in the world, versus one that is getting off the ground, very popular game, but doesn't actually hasn't actually launched yet. Uh, it's hard not to compare those price tags and think to yourself, "Man, like there's obviously some arbitrage that's going to happen here, right?" I mean, every owner I speak to tells me how poor they are, and yes, that's because we're usually negotiating a player salary, but they're also telling Riot that, they're telling everyone else that, that we're not, you know, in the black like we want to be, and I I get that, and I think there is a lot of truth to that because broadcasting rights aren't shared properly and things like that, but we we will also see with this $10 million price point how true that is. Are those orgs going to just put up and buy the spot themselves? Or is this pressure like we've seen – not pressure is the wrong word, but is it a move like we've seen from Blizzard to kind of uh, put an endemic esports team with a non-endemic traditional sports team? Uh, the Robert Kraft rumors, for example, I doubt it would be Robert Kraft working a spot by himself. It would be Robert Kraft with an esports org that already exists but could not afford a spot. Uh, I, I would not be surprised if we see very similar here. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think there's a quote in the Bloomberg article this morning from Whalen, which said something to the effect of, 
we're you know we're excited to see possibly the best of both worlds with endemic esports owners and non-endemic uh, you know financiers coming into this space. So yeah, I mean I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. And you already seen it, right? I think Jack uh, Etienne of Cloud9, when he did his most recent round, uh, he explicitly said that he was raising that money in part to get capital for franchise fees, which I think is. Uh, pretty commonly happening across the league right now if it hasn't happened already for certain teams like but, Cloud9. But the thing there is when I negotiate a player deal, it's still with Jack. Uh, how long until I'm doing it with random attorney guy from Robert Kraft's crew who has no idea what esports is? And I think that's when we're going to see a backlash into uh, just different concerns in those contracts. And I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a very interesting day when that happens for the first time. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, Rob, do you think do you think ten million as a team owner is a little bit too much or no? Well, I think um, there's two things. One is the one thing that franchising does is it takes a big piece of uncertainty out of an investment. So therefore, in terms of raising capital, in the past you always had a risk of well, your team could get relegated and this investment in League of Legends could become worthless. Um, so there's at least now a degree of certainty that in raising this capital to be investing in a franchise, you know two things. You know you have a significant future that you know is now certain, and then you also have revenue streams that you didn't used to have, partly because the rights were split up and partly because the rights weren't as valuable a couple of years ago that you're going to be participating in. So. You know, certainly by having the franchising and having the leagues and the um, the league and the teams and the players all pulling in the same direction, it makes it much easier to be approaching sponsors that weren't as aggressive in this space as before because it was so hard to engage with. Whether you were buying a sport or a team or a team across multiple sports, so I think it makes it much easier for someone to, from a traditional advertiser, to now come into this space when you have the teams and the league all on the same page. And so I think that's part of what increases the economics and the value, and what is certainly a part of, therefore, what the price is of entry. So I have a hot take. Uh... And it's it's something that I've discussed with several people. Uh, I believe some of them in this call. Um, when I've reported that Blizzard would be asking for twenty million dollars and had asked for twenty million dollars, um, and its business model of lack of revenue sharing for several years, and you know this the get you on the way out fee of twenty five percent. One thing that I was very concerned about, and I am no longer concerned about, is that. Because Blizzard was trying so hard um, and is trying so hard to involve the billionaires uh, in the world and these multi, multi-team multi uh, sports owners, um, one of the biggest concerns I had is that if the Overwatch League failed, it would make a really bad name for esports. Um, with that, I, I think that it was very contingent on Riot being successful, and Riot, when it franchised, being able to do it in a more feasible and more approachable way for someone who is used to making millions uh, of dollars in sports. Um, so I believe, uh, and I feel a lot better about this now, as I think, even if the Overwatch League does not succeed at this point, um, I think that Riot will save the day with this, because I think that 
Um, they're being very open about it, and I also think that some of the revenue share models laid out in this announcement today um, are much more feasible than what was laid out to owners uh, for the Overwatch League. Jacob Wolf, Riot Games cheerleader. Not a phrase I would expect to be saying. (laughs) Uh, Do you think this makes Blizzard change their offer? I I do. I do. I think that um, a lot of the people that I have talked to means that they want to see Blizzard go down in price um, and that they would invest. They weren't completely uninterested in investing. They were uninterested in investing at $20 million plus. So right. I think, yes, this will make them go down to 10 or less. Um, so and- what you're saying is all a conspiracy by Riot to just kill the Overwatch League before it starts. No, I think it's the opposite. I think if the, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I think if the Overwatch, <laughs> I think if the Overwatch League would have crashed and burned, it was up to Riot to save the day. And I think that, given what they just announced today, that this is a good start. So, yes. And also, I mean, as far as pricing goes, right? To some extent, it's whatever the market will bear, which I think is partially what Blizzard's approach with sort of bidding was like. I mean, I think ultimately, ten million dollars. The answer of whether $10 million is a reasonable price is, you know, can they get 10 people to pony up $10 million? And the answer is yes, several times over. They're going to have – it's definitely going to be uh, a seller's market here. I think Riot's going to be inundated with applications and people or ownership groups that have $10 million to invest in this. And, you know, it's just a question of who they're going to choose from that. So I would be very surprised if any team were to say – I'm certainly not familiar with one who would say $10 million is too much. Uh, I mean the opportunity cost of that, right, is – would you? How much less revenue would your team make over time if you weren't in League of Legends? And I think for most teams that are in the league, the answer is enough that we're okay with ten million. But you know, we'll see how Overwatch League plays. Yeah, into and that. it certainly it certainly feels like Riot in their pricing of it, right? It certainly has a sense of the meteorites, has a sense of the sponsorship, and it feels like they've tried to put mark this investment to a place where there was actually a reasonable opportunity for people to actually generate a return on their investment because that's what's in the best long-term interest in the league that if you actually have teams who start to have positive cash flow and they're investing in the sport investing in players and investing in marketing the sport right because there's still a lot of people who are not yet in the esports world and so the teams having energy and resources to be driving fanship and viewership is definitely part of what they want. So they aren't looking to basically max people out so that they had to stretch so much to what they bought in for that they have no cash flow left to fund players and operations and um, content and promotion. So I think they've tried to price this in a way that, yes, there's a bar that's relatively high because there's very valuable asset here, but structured in a way that people should have a realistic capability of running a successful business. And I think that's been you know one of the issues in the past of people saying, wow, how do I balance making any money from this and what I'm paying for player salaries and how much revenue I can bring in? So this feels like a good balance in terms of how they've structured this. Well, we're going to take a short break. Uh, once we come back, we will talk a little bit more about the player side of this uh, and give kind of Ryan the floor to uh, rant, as I know he would like to. Uh, but, yeah, after the break, we'll talk more about players, uh, player contribution, and also uh, some control concerns that have been voiced previously. 
Be right back. Welcome back to the ESPN Esports Podcast. We are still with Ovi, Ryan, and Rob, and we are still talking about franchising. Um, so one of the things that Riot came forward with uh, this in this announcement is player contribution um, in a couple of ways. Uh, they're going to contribute to the players with some revenue sharing. They're also going to contribute with the team with some revenue sharing. Uh, but additionally, they, they voiced their desire to start a players association. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted Ryan on this podcast is because Ryan um, has had many a discussion about this kind of thing and also took to Twitter to voice some concerns around Riot funding said player association, which is a massive uh, conflict of interest if that's actually how it all spills out. Um, so my, my first question here is um, do we really think players who are – extremely lazy, uh, and also, you know, not very proactive when it comes to anything outside of the game. Uh, do we really think players are going to voice their opinion and be more involved in league decisions? No, uh, not categorically. No, 0% chance of that. Uh, I think that the, the biggest hindrance to players growth is unfortunately the players themselves. I think that, uh, most players don't read what they sign. They don't uh, think to get an accountant to pay their taxes right. They don't think to get a lawyer to make sure their contracts are safe. And they don't think to get an agent or manager to make sure that the deals they're actually negotiating are, are good. Uh, that leads to a very stagnant salary base, and it leads to players only caring about salary when there's an infinite amount of other things in those contracts that they should be concerned about, as we saw with the PA letter and things like that. Uh, to start, to take it a step back, though, I, I just want to make it clear that I have kicked and screamed a long time that I wish publishers would come in here and do a lot more for these players, and they're finally doing something. So I I want to say that from from the the, the mile yard look back, I, I am okay with this, and I think it's a good thing. I think it's a step in the right direction. I also want to make it clear that I don't think Riot's doing anything nefarious or malicious here. I think that this is done with mostly good intentions. I agree. Uh, I say mostly because the part that really stands out to me is I think both teams and publishers are starting to realize that players hold all the power of the future. They're going to hold the power of where the broadcasting rights are de uh, determined. They're going to hold the power to a lot of things, probably with somebody in their corner like Twitch, but we don't realize, or I, I mean, we realize, but most of the industry and investors don't realize that most people are fans of a player. They're not fans of a team. Sure, there are plenty of fans of teams. Everyone chants TSM no matter what's ha happening at any event. But <laughs> first and foremost, players are uh, fans are fans of a player. And that player then holds a lot of power. So if Riot comes in here and says, hey, guys, we're going to help you set up a players association. We're going to be totally hands-off. We're going to just give you the keys to the car. You can drive wherever you want. That sounds really nice. But it also is buying a lot of goodwill and credibility with these players in exchange for basically nothing. Uh, the way it's supposed to happen and the way it's supposed to be set up is that Riot is, is apparently sending three people to give a pitch to these players, and the three attorneys will explain how they would run the Players Association, and then the players are going to vote either one of those three or none of the above. Uh, I've already talked to most of the players we represent, and they all categorically agree that this doesn't mean anything they uh, – that this is only for players who don't have attorneys and that this isn't going to do anything. And now that is categorically wrong by my players. This is something very important. They don't understand it. That means Riot's not explaining it right. Hopefully it is explained better by the time these pitches are done. But I can also tell you that 
I know every esports attorney. I know everyone who represents players. I've talked to them all. Not one of them was even approached about this. And that means that these are three attorneys that are probably friendly with Riot. I don't think they're going to be friendly with Riot in a malpractice way. I don't think they're going to do something uh, evil or sinister there. But you never really want the attorney that your boss recommends you use uh, to negotiate your employment deal. Here, Riot is stronger than the NFL. Riot doesn't just own the league. Riot also owns the football itself. And for Riot to now come in and say, hey, guys, we're also going to help you set up the Players Association. Scouts honor it's going to be good. I have a really hard time buying that. All that's doing is giving them at least partial control over every element of the game and removing all power from orgs and probably all power from players after they sign into this thing. Do you think that there is any comparison uh, to the NFL Players Association or the National Basketball Players Association at all? I think there's a 0% comparison. I think that uh, – so I was there for the, uh, the last NFL strike. I was actually in law school and, and uh, was very lucky to be at, at quite a few events in Manhattan on it, uh, speaking to the actual head of the Players Association and things like that. I can tell you with every ounce of confidence I have that the head of that Players Association was not someone that the NFL would have recommended be in a room with the players. He was someone who came in and, and was going to fight hard for them and knew what he, he wanted, knew what was right. And even though I don't agree with everything he did, that's how good deals are formed. Uh, we, we've seen now two insane elements to esports Players Association moves. The first being Scoots, who I think has has just damaged those players poor people's career that signed that letter. Uh, and I, I, I don't know what he's doing nowadays, but I, I certainly don't uh, agree with his actions. And I think he's holding himself out as an attorney in a lot of ways when he's not. And the other thing now we see is, is Riot coming in here and saying, hey, talk to our guys. And who are these guys? I mean, I, I've heard the general description. The players told me the rundown of who's going to be there. And none of them really sound like uh, the right people to talk to these players. I know that they... The, I mean, you all know, everyone listening to this knows, players are not the the most uh, outspoken creatures of their own rights and their own protections. I'm very worried that whoever goes in there is going to baby step into negotiations with the orgs or baby step into negotiations with, the, with Riot and not run this Players Association well. I think we're going to see a really bad CBA for the players if we see a CBA at all. And uh, before everyone starts yelling, I'm jealous that I didn't get invited – I don't want to run a players association. That is not at all anything I want to do. I just want to make sure the people that are are doing it for the right reasons and and actually have these players' best interest a million percent at heart. Any counterpoints to that, Rob? Uh, Ovi? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, the the goal, and obviously how you implement that is always complicated, but the goal is that you don't have this churn and burnout. And so the question is, how do you represent player interests in the league and as part of the decision-making and part of what's happening and giving them a voice? So the only way you can give a group as disparate as all of these players a voice is to have an association. So, but I, but so I did, that's the exact element, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, th- that's the exact thing I so wholeheartedly disagree with. Riot, what they should be doing here, and not that I'm smarter than Riot, but what I would love to see Riot do here is come in and implement contract minimums that have to be in every contract. So we still see contracts that say things like, I can fine you any amount for any reason, I don't have to tell you why. And then some of the less good orgs 
we'll just use that to not pay players when they don't want. We, and that's just one random clause off the top of my head. There are so many clauses that are toxic. Riot doesn't have to write the good clauses, but Riot can come in and say no one's allowed in the LCS unless you follow these guidelines. And they already do that to a degree, but not nowhere near where they should. Instead of a players association, they could come in and just kind of demand. I don't care if they're player advocates. I don't care if they're coming in and making the world a better place for players top to bottom. But they could come in and make the world a lot safer for these players to be part of the LCS. The churn and burn in particular. Players should not be but doing 18-hour isn't, exactly isn't that exactly the point of a players association? To then well, but that's not what's... what to take up whatever the causes are that are the most important to the players to say, hey, the thing we care most about in life is... And the players, some standardized terms. the players don't fight for their own concerns. And I know that's... <laughs> I get it. I mean, I, I, it sucks to be the players then. I get it. But if, if Riot truly wanted that, then Riot would just implement these minimums rather than forcing a players association on a group of players who don't want it, don't care about it, and don't understand it. Okay, I, I would love to respond to some of this. Like, Go for it. Go right. for it. First of all, yeah, yeah. So first of all, I think I think there's two ways to read what Riot is proposing here. So I think there's a pretty uncharitable way, which I actually don't think you're fully uncharitable. Like, I think you did. Like, it sounds like you have a reasonable appreciation of what they're trying to do, and you just have some skepticism, which I think is totally fair. Um, but that. I like, would say... Don't think this is, I don't think they're being evil here. I just think yeah, this yeah. is the wrong way Right. Absolutely. No, no. And I give you like for 100 percent, it doesn't sound like you're sort of foaming at the mouth here. You just have some incisive questions, which I think is fair. So first of all, though, like structurally, I think what fundamentally is happening here is that Riot is basically trying to jumpstart something that will not happen without them, quite frankly, uh, because I, I mean, I know. So like I'm pretty good. So Stephen Ellis, High Lamb, a couple other guys, a couple of other sort of large very popular players with a lot of weight in the community and within player circles have sort of looked into questions like creating a players association over the last couple of years. And generally they've gone nowhere. It's really expensive in terms of billable hours, but also for other reasons to set up a union, um, you know, salaries aren't there yet. It's extremely complicated. And so I think, I think what Riot is basically doing is, hey, if we wait for the status quo, it could be years before players collectivize and all of the negative externalities of not being able to sort of, you know, regulate agents, have contract minimums, negotiate with basic minimums with leagues and teams. None of that will happen until that happens. So to some extent, I think Riot, it's not that Riot is eager to do this. It's that who, if not Riot, will do this in you know, the medium term? And I think the answer is no one, right? I mean, you seem pretty, I'm not quite as pessimistic as you, but you seem pretty pessimistic that players will do this themselves. I think that almost underscores that, yeah, I mean, it's got to be Riot, right? Like who else would do, what other third party is there? So that, but that's my exact concern is that I don't think anyone's going to do this anytime soon. And I don't think we need this anytime soon. I think what we want first is more than 30% of the, the professional players to have a lawyer. And I, I, I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's somebody I hate. But just they should be forced to have someone look at their contract. Riot can force that. Riot is the barrier of entry to the LCS. And to give them a players association is not the same thing. It's saying, here, now you have a place to voice your concerns. And if you don't do it there, you're basically screwed. Because once a CBA is, is negotiated, that's it in a lot of capacities. And instead, what I would love to see is players forced to talk to a lawyer, talk to an agent, and talk to an accountant educate themselves the same stuff you'll see if, if a college player goes into the nba not that this is traditional sports but these these professional players here for far and wide do not treat this like a career they do not treat this like a profession 
and they they're they're not serious about their futures. They're not serious about what they're signing. And I'm very I'm not even concerned. I know for a fact that this players association is going to be five vocal players and then a lot of players who aren't going to read it or, or have any idea what's going on. And that's just not the way to make this happen. I think if Riot wants to do this, then they should force representation upon the players or they can't come in here and force the orgs to put in minimum contract standards. So I want to so, play slight. I want to... I wanna... so you've made... You've made a decision on behalf of the players and what you think is best for the players. Riot 100%. is saying we want the players to tell us what's best for the players. Yep, I'm telling. I'm saying that uh, I, I work with these players every day. I'm not deciding what's better for them. I'm saying that if they wanted a players association, they can decide to get one. They're deciding to do nothing. And that is proof in the pudding that they're not taking care of themselves properly. So what Riot can do is educate them, just have seminars even, send them PowerPoint slides on why you should have someone look at your contracts, why a contract should be more than three paragraphs in a Word document. I think forcing a players association upon them is not the next logical step. That's so, such like uh, a otherwise, you're, uh, otherwise, you're forcing Riot into an adversarial relationship with the orgs about the player contracts because, by definition, you've now put them in charge of deba- a dispute. You've, you've pointed out some clauses that you find completely onerous. There's a whole bunch of other clauses that are always hotly debated and negotiated. So how, how is Riot supposed to come into a relationship between players and owners and be – Suddenly, now they're representing the players versus the owners. Is the dynamic that you're advocating? To versus I want them the to players... force them to talk to a lawyer, and then that that lawyer can negotiate for them. I don't want riot near the negotiation table between a player and an org. Well, but you are suggesting that by saying that riot should be the one dictating standard terms. I think they. I don't want standard terms. I want standard minimums. They already do that. They already have a rider that has to be on every contract. That rider is just so. Far removed from the current status of esports. Well, yeah, but Ryan, the the the. I mean, without getting too deep into it, right? Like some of those, uh, some of those contract provisions that Ryan has are very high level, and a lot of what we're talking about right now is going a level deeper. And I think it's at that level that Riot would prefer that players more or less speak for themselves rather than Riot sort of doing it by fiat, right? Yeah, but I, what I'm saying is they can speak for themselves. They can learn the, the value of representation and reading what they're signing at the same time as Riot saying you're not allowed to have this ridiculous – you know, you have to have a term limit in your contract. You don't have to say what the minimum is. I don't care if they set a number on it. You just have to have a term limit in your contract. You have to have your salary listed in your contract. That would be nice because some orgs still say we'll pay you every month without a number associated. I so, mean, to be clear, their summary sheet requires that that be there, and the player should be able theoretically to point to that. No, I think I think that's monthly, part of but... what I think that's part of what Ryan's pointing out is that things like the summary sheet require a basic level of understanding, like a minimum requirement to some of these contracts. Um, and I think he's he's just wanting to point out that he would like to see some deeper deeper thought in that minimum, uh, and you know, the summary sheet I think is kind of a part of that. So. Yeah, I'm not yeah. anti players association and I'm certainly not riot I'm certainly not against riot funding one to get it started and off the ground. I think that would be awesome actually. But the problem is I just think this is five steps too early. I would love to see exactly that summary sheet expanded upon I, and and that is so easy to do and would save so many players careers and I would also like to see uh, a just basic education for these players. I know it's not Riot's responsibility. I'm not trying to say it is. It's on these players, and unfortunately, they're not doing it for the most part. Some obviously do, but it's it's it that that also it becomes almost Riot's responsibility to look at this now when they want to involve themselves in a players' association because now 
I, I would guarantee any attorney that's in charge of taking uh, 200 League of Legends players and figuring out all of their needs and wants is going to throw himself off the roof of his law office. It's not going to be an easy endeavor because there's just no frame of reference for what's in those contracts they're signing. Most players do not have representation. And most players, if you pick any clause in their contract and say, hey, are you okay with this? They would say, no, what? No, absolutely not. But they have no idea it's even in there. So whoever's in charge of this players association is going to have the worst battle of their career. I do not envy them. Well, two things. One, and I want to get back to that idea of who's going to run this players association. So you sort of been like hinting that Riot um, sort of have some sort of untoward influence, or maybe you're not, but that's certainly the way it comes off to me. And just reading uh, the description of how it's going to work, right? It's a short list of representatives will be presented to NALCS players in June. Players will vote as a group. They can vote to reject. So to be clear, Riot will present some pre-picked candidates. Sounds like it's three folks from what you've heard. Players can choose to pick one of these three who, yes, are handpicked by Riot, or they can reject all of them and pick whoever they want, if I'm understanding this correctly. So, I mean, first of all, I'm not sure who these candidates are, but, you know, if they if they got someone like the general counsel for the Big Ten, they may they not didn't. have the most... <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, it depends on who it is. I mean, if you have the bios that you want to share, I'm happy to sort of debate them on the merits. But for right now, it's sort of like a phantom hypothetical. Fair. Who, whoever they are, let's assume that they are not connected to the esports industry, which I think is actually pretty important right now. Because, I mean, every esports lawyer I can think of ha- has hella conflicts of interest for representing players in a players association. Oh, yeah. Um, so I totally understand why Riot would – I don't see it as a snub to like you know you or any of the other uh, you know attorneys in the esports space, more so just trying to get someone impartial. And again, I, it's a hypothetical. I don't know what their background is, so I can't say that I approve of these choices. But what I can say is that if it is the case – based on this uh, you know, summary that they have on the evolution of the NALCS article, that players can choose to reject these choices. Basically, Riot is trying to jumpstart the process by saying, hey, here are three people we think are competent, rather than you guys trying to go out collectively, you know, comb through the yellow pages to try and find a lawyer who you think is good. Here's three who we think are good, and if you don't like it, that's fine. You can sort of try and go through the process of finding your own. It just doesn't seem that nefarious to me. It seems like, again, they're trying to just streamline the process. But I hear what you're saying. I think if Riot only provided these three choices, yes, that would be totally unacceptable. But that's not what they did here, so I, it doesn't bother me as much. To and I, I, to be clear, I said I, I, may, I, I don't think it's nefarious, but it's also kind of – you know, 101 of how to get somebody to choose those three is also give them a none of the above option. If they choose none of the above, I will eat my hat and give you my law firm. There's just no chance of that happening. It's, it's, I, I, again, I've already talked to my players today and they're pretty convinced that this is only for the people who don't have lawyers and it doesn't affect them. And uh, I think, it's, to be frank, uh, I do think that we're back, like, this all wraps back into the laziness discussion. Like, if, if you do choose none of the above, who is going out of all these players? Let's say it's fifty. You know, out of all the fifty players in this league, who is going to man up and like lead the charge and choose a lawyer? Like no one, even if they choose, choose none of the above. I just don't feel like they're going to be ambitious enough and also motivated enough to just do it themselves. So it's kind of like I think there's some somewhere in the middle between all of your your uh, points of views. Um, specifically, just I think that. That there is a problem with player laziness. I think all of us in this this call acknowledge that that there are a lot of players that would rather just focus on the game than do anything else in their life, which is a problem. Um, but also, like you know, putting three people in front of them, it those three people better be pretty good. And like they, 
it's also a little skeptical that it, they are riot nominated. So it, it's kind of it's kind of difficult. Like I think, in my opinion, if this was not going to happen at all, it like it would just continue not to happen. I don't see a world where players get so motivated enough, unless something really bad happens. Like unless there is something like a PEA where there's something that all the players just completely appall. Um, I do not see where these players get together in a chat and like have a good discussion about who's going to represent them because frankly they do not care so no and it's the culture of the game you look at that verse overwatch overwatch has a, a player base that does care they're they're almost 90 percent represented if not 100 at this point uh by different attorneys and different agents in league of legends that number is 20 to 30 it's it's uh it's just the culture of the different games and i don't see that changing ever but what i'm saying is just to summarize real quickly because i i know i kind of went in a a lot of different points. I think this is a good gesture by Riot. I think it is well-intentioned, but I think that this is so putting the cart before the horse. I think that there is going to be no conversation that happens to help the attorney in charge of this association. I think it's only going to be people coming in after a deal's already worked out or right before it's worked out and saying, no, 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 I want to change this. And I think this is just going to be an abysmal failure. I don't want to deal, delve too deep into sort of legal complexities, but actually, like, I, it does occur to me that, you know, from an antitrust perspective and just for some context, right, in the United States, there's antitrust law, which basically regulates restraint of trade and makes it so that, you know, for example, all the tech companies can't get in a room and decide, you know, the maximum we're going to pay, pay our engineers is $100,000 and no one's allowed to pay more than that. Um, so you, the, the only reason why you're allowed to do that in traditional sports league is either because they have antitrust exemptions or because they have players associations. And so if you negotiate with employees as a collective group to about what a salary cap is, then it's permissible under antitrust law. I'm obviously glossing over, you know, tons of jurisprudence, Ryan, so feel free to fill in blanks. But no. my, my larger point is basically that I think there's actually certainly a benefit for teams and the league here, right? Like this is somewhat self-interested, I think at least a little bit, in that once there's a players association, it becomes possible to institute things like a uh, – you know, a draft or yep, that's uh, salary the caps. Those are the scary uh, ones. And so you can't do Now, of course, obviously, the reason why it's permissible is because you get to negotiate directly with players. Uh, and so it's not like this is being done unilaterally. However, um, it, it is worth thinking that I think actually there is, I think it aligns with both owner and publisher incentives for there to be a players association, uh, if only because in order to get to things like, uh, you know, salary caps and drafts, which some people believe would be are you know critical of a critical importance for making sure and rob i'm really curious to hear what you think as a team owner but of critical importance for basically making sure that teams are profitable and that the you know the league revenue balance doesn't fall totally out of whack well i think um like i said relative to the player association that's where you get into the debate now the one the one phrase that did get passed around a couple times in this call which weird lab to take exception to is the reference to the players as lazy? It's certainly not laziness. This game requires a huge amount of practice and concentration and focus. I to be, to be clear, to be clear, Agreed. just I I don't mean that they're generally lazy. I mean that they are lazy when it comes to other things outside of the game. <laughs> you just sound so oh, okay. You just sound a little bit like my mom, where you're like, you guys. Are I think Ryan called players creatures at one point. Did I say creatures? You definitely called players creatures. I'm just giving you That's wonderful. 
I know. I, I I think kind of the general consensus here is that they they all they want to do is play the game and focus on their skill rather than focusing on the extremities of their situation, such as legal representation, negotiating stuff, and also things like food, etc., that is provided by teams. So that that yeah, was kind of the point. They come to me when things are on fire, never to, <laughs> to, to prevent the fire. <laughs> that is probably yeah. true. I mean, for what it's worth, like, it's a huge player base, right? It's 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 easy to generalize, but, like, there definitely are some players, and I've talked to some who've tried to make their own attempts. Like, I mentioned, hi, there's some others who've at least looked into trying to make it on their own. And, like, yeah, I mean, I, it's a little bit of a broad brush to say none of them care about this, right? They're absolutely lawyers who have attorneys who do care about this. It's just new industry and youth, right? A lot of these guys are 17. I don't know about you, but at 17, I'm not even sure I could, well, tie my shoelaces much less, you know, think through the legal nuances of having a buyout or a right of first refusal in my contract. So, I, you know, <laughs> I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely the, but they shouldn't, but they shouldn't be. I don't, I don't do my own surgery. I don't, I don't, you know, fix my own transmission. I go to a doctor and a mechanic. When you get a contract that's going to dictate your livelihood for the next two years, have a professional look at it. There's just no excuse not to. Yeah. I, I like at some point, and this is, completely different discussion for a different podcast but at some point there is negligence uh like neg- negligence that is related to contracts can sometimes be the player's fault because they just did not did not deal with it up front rather than when and it a player's association is not gonna be a replacement for that in fact I you know as brought up it, it's very potential to bring in more abuse now it's not a union an association and a union are two different legal entities, but it absolutely can still allow for a lot of things that it can be collectively bargained. And and uh, again, I don't think this is why Riot's doing it, but it's put, it's possible. So I don't, I would not, if any of my players ask, should we join this players association? I'm as it stands right now, going to tell them no until I see more about it, because who knows who's negotiating this for them? Who knows what they're going to wind up working out? And there are so many downsides to being in an association that they have no idea about. And to, but, be, and to be clear, they I would be surprised if joining the association means also dumping your individual representation. I would assume oh, that those oh, are complementary. So. Yeah, yeah, it does. No way. Yeah. No way. Yeah. No way. <laughs> That's the hard part, too, is it's hard for me as a lawyer who represents them to complain about this without sounding like – Wow, I wish it was me. I promise I would rather do anything in my world than work out 200 players' pages at the same time. So we've kind of gone over uh, what sort of time I, w- I wanted to do. So I guess it's kind of time to wrap up the podcast. But thank you all three uh, of you for joining me, and thank you for giving your perspectives. I sincerely appreciate it. Um, if you want to check out everyone, uh, and there's only one person on this call that I don't know their Twitter handle, but um, if you want to check us all out on Twitter, uh, mine is at Jacob N. Wolf. Uh, Ryan is at Mr. Ryan Morrison, and Ovi is at Real Esports G. Rob, do you have a Twitter? Yes, I do have a Twitter. What is your Twitter? <clears throat> my Twitter is now. I by the way, now I was suddenly blanking on if my name came first or the team came first. But I'm at RSM Phoenix One. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you all three for joining me. And if you want to read more about this topic, we will have a article up on the website discussing some of the franchising concerns, but also some of the things that came great out of uh, this announcement. So you can find that on ESPN.com/esports. Thanks all. Thanks for having us.
Cheers. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.